Welcome to the Coworkers Podcast with Jesse and Shaney. Where every believer is a coworker in God's mission. Welcome to the podcast. Today we have an awesome treat. Dear friends and coworkers, Nathan and Carrie are here with us. Many of our listeners already know and love Nathan and Carrie. They have over 15 years of church planting work experience in South Asia most of that time in significant leadership positions. And one of the best things about Nathan and Carrie is their four energetic kiddos, some of our favorites. And we, Jesse and I go way back with Nathan and Carrie from seminary. We really bonded together through studying the book of Acts together. And we've been walking through life, ministry, ups and downs since then. So Nathan and Carrie, welcome. We're so glad to hear from both of you today. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you guys. Let me just say as well, by way of introduction, before we get to the question, last week on the episode, we talked through the four essentials of missionary leadership. And so this is kind of the follow-up to that. We just want to hear more on the ground, real life. What do those things look like, those biblical principles from the life of Jesus and Paul? What do they look like actually applied in missionary leadership on the field, lived out through you guys? So Again, I want to hear from y'all. Key principles, Jesus and Paul's leadership that you've tried to implement over the years. Yeah, with your permission, Carrie, I'll just jump in there. The, the piece that stands out and has rung in our ears over years of time it can be found in any of the four Gospels. As you follow Jesus, he's always met by the crowds, those uh, just throngs of people who would chase after him, follow after him, precede him, get ahead of him on the road run around the shore as he crosses the lake, whatever, by whatever means, whether to, to see a miracle, to be fed in the breaking of loaves and fish, you know, to, uh, to hear him teaching. He always had the crowds with him. It's most specifically, and clearly you can see it in the book of Mark, in the midst of all, constantly returning, constantly giving himself, giving attention and time to the crowds, the crowds that were always with him. In the middle of that, he also intentionally, specifically commits to the few. That would be the first principle that has has just rung in our ears over years of time, especially where crowds are inevitable in South Asia, to watch and to look into the midst of opportunity, in the midst of a public ministry, if you will, and find private commitment to the few. So from Mark chapter 3 and following, you see him not only naming the 12, but specifically committing himself that they might be with him, that he might send them out. And that's what we've always meant by just that, that, that leadership development discipleship is like breathing, spiritual breathing. We inhale, we pull them close that they might be with us. We also send them out. We exhale, if you will, via assignment. And, and, and that's how I would describe Jesus Mentoring of the 12, they constantly being commissioned to go out, do the work that he's modeled in front of them, join him in his missionary task around Galilee. But then there's also an inhale after the fact, a debriefing, a, an abiding, a sense of access to the master, access to the teacher, whereby he debriefs, whereby he gives further instruction, where he continues to use his example and their experience to shape them and grow them, stretch them in the task. All of that precedes the ultimate commissioning where he exits and entrusts fully to them. That'd be the first thing, just the public and private ministry. And and we celebrated that over the years as we've walked together, the thought of uh, Wade Akins, 
you know, talking about the public and private ministry or Robert Coleman talking about the master's plan of evangelism or discipleship. Others have picked up on that. We certainly got no monopoly on that. We've benefited recognizing the few in the midst of the crowd. And how many times we've wrestled with people in, in trying to challenge them in leadership development, training, equipping, entrusting the task to those that have come along behind them, next generation of leaders. So, sometimes we fall in love with the public ministry, find ourselves training broadly, equipping, instructing broadly, never committing to the few. And how that can be a ditch for us in trying to reproduce leaders and uh, and multiply. The alternate ditch, the other the other way to fail is without training broadly, without casting a broad net of vision and equipping, without a broad call to whosoever will come, so to speak, of that discipleship process, giving people a chance to obey, to follow after him. It's we've seen people fail by committing to the few without a filter, committing to the few, without some opportunity to demonstrate obedience, a willingness not to just come and see, but to come and follow, to come and be with Christ, come and be with us as disciples. So you can fall in love with the public ministry, never commit to the few. It's possible to fail by committing to the few without ever challenging and watching for faithfulness, for obedience, or even fruitfulness in the midst of the task. Jesus was able to do that perfectly. He knew exactly who the Father had given him. I like how you so clearly gave the example of Jesus, who had a public ministry, but also clearly had his 12 and maybe some other layers as well. 72. That's right. He had the three closest to him. Over the years, how have you guys identified and cultivated leadership in others? Thank you for that, too. Carrie, feel free to jump in. I, I also would just offer that it's a faith-based activity. And, and what I mean by that is you have to accept ahead of time with our, with our human constraints, we're talking about an activity that involves risk. You know, we, we think about the parts of the missionary task to engage lostness, to, to evangelize, to equip disciples, to establish churches, whatever, however we describe those parts of a church planning plan or the missionary task. And every one of those we consider, we recognize that it's a faith-based activity, it's faith-based pursuit to engage those people that are God-prepared to discern and see them in the midst of, of a harvest field. Or as we share the gospel, obviously in partnership with the Holy Spirit who brings conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's a faith-based activity, right? Disciple-making, church planting, something the things only God can do along the way to grant success to any of our efforts grant fruit for any of those efforts we would put before him as faithfulness, you know, as an attempt to be faithful. We Sometimes we don't think of leadership development that way. I want to just say in, in a decade plus of effort in trying to, to reproduce leaders, leadership development is absolutely a faith-based activity in that it constantly and always involves risk. The empowerment of voice for a person to start evangelizing for a person to, to step forward in leadership or for that matter, teaching of the word of God, that leader is to be able to teach. Now, how isn't that also as even as it's a gifting, it's also a skill to be developed. And, you know, that's our testimony in our own lives, right? The first sermon I ever preached, some pastor put me in their pulpit. Some pastor handed me a microphone, said, yes, we recognize your calling. Now let's begin to exercise that discipline, exercise that gifting. And my first sermon wasn't my best. 
but the chance to learn on the job, someone to empower that voice, to empower that discipline, to empower that next step of leadership. Someone is taking a risk, aren't they? To push a, a young, inexperienced voice or a young leader forward. You know, uh, as you said, and you asked the question, Jesse Cheney, with the follow-up, where do you see that in the life of Jesus and Paul? Well, I'm, I'm positive. I'm positive that Jesus himself could fulfill the Great Commission in any breath. He could be done calling all the ethne in a moment's, at a moment's notice. And somehow in his economy of the Great Commission, somehow in his pursuit and his equipping of his followers, he's patient with us. He's consistently and diligently gracious in every time that you and I, or that we've watched you fail, that you've seen us fail, stumble and fall over the years we've walked together. Well, the Lord has seen every moment of that. The Lord saw all of that before it happened. And still he empowered, still he was willing to walk with us. I, I wrestle, I, I struggle, Shaney, to actually match the Lord and his grace to allow our own disciples to fail and to fall. And, and we see it in Paul as well. That leadership involves, it's a faith-based activity. It involves risk. Look at it in Paul's life. The clearest example, 1 Thessalonians, having left behind that, that church in its infancy. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3, he actually, Paul tells the Thessalonians it was Satan himself who blocked the way for Paul to return to them. He talks about the challenge, even is it chapter 3, verse 5, I was afraid, he says, in his inability to return and check on their faith, in his inability to follow up and encourage them as a mother, uh, as a father in the faith would instruct their children, he says, I was afraid that somehow the tempter may have tempted you, our labors may have been in vain. And so his solution and all of that, when we could stand it no longer there in chapter three, Silas and Paul presumably chose to send the teenager to follow up. Infant church, Satan himself blocking the way, Paul's own anxiety, concern, his words, I was afraid that our labors may have been in vain. And the solution to me sounds like risk. They send Timothy, the teenager, the young man in the faith, even years later to see about their faith, hope and love. And I, I would look at Paul and say, Paul, your leadership development is hanging by a thread, brother. But it happens that that thread is faith. It's actually affixed at the other end to the sovereign almighty God who has committed to build his church with the promise that the gates of hell won't stand against it. Now, if that's where our faith is affixed, absolutely. Pushing, empowering other people, entrusting the task to people like Timothy is a faith-based activity. God's faithful. He honors that type of faith. He responds, and in pursuit of those believers that he has called, that he has redeemed, he's much more committed to those leaders than we would ever be. So as we step forward in faith, we recognize God's faithfulness. He also meets us in that task. Same way he does with evangelism, same way he does within, with going, engaging lostness, right? Gary, I know that you are really investing in Western women, South Asian women, regularly taking women alongside you as you go out, regularly meeting with women, one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, things like that. So 
take all these biblical principles and ministry principles that Nathan shared and make it real life. Give us some real examples from the last year or two for you. Back over the last year or two, there's just um, been several people in our life that I've been able to pour into. And it's, I, I think I've said this many times to our ladies, uh, whether it's in our organization or our national partners, is God places people who are naturally in our lives. Whenever we find ourselves in busy seasons, either as moms, uh, as empty nesters, as singles, God places people in our lives that are naturally there. So am I looking at um, empowering those people? Am I looking, am I focused on exemplifying my equipping and encouraging and entrusting um, among those people who are naturally in my lives? So to give an example, we have a, a driver um, just in the past year, it's been a sweet thing to say every time we drive our kids to to school and he's driving along that we can pray along this horrible road that we that we drive and pray for that uh, village that we pass every day. And then um, whenever I was able to go into that village and, and share with a lady, her she came to faith, but her husband was not a believer and he was very opposed to it. So my next step was to take Vivek with us into that into that home. So then it just from that point on, it was exemplifying. Hey, Vivek, come with me and and see how we do this. And next, uh, equipping him how to how to move along in the process and entrusting him. Now we're here. He has to take on this work, and he had to whenever COVID season hit. He was the only one who could go out there, and he's other personnel have walked alongside him and helped equip him and encourage him. It's not just been me or Nathan. It's been other people. I think allowing other people to speak into your disciples life. is just how we, how we do with our kids. There comes a point when you just pray that other people will speak into your children's life because somehow they're another person's voice becomes louder than yours. And that we got to be okay with that. Praising the Lord that somebody else is able to speak into his life and, and encourage him also. Well, in watching Carrie walk with disciples, this example she just gave a young man that we also, we both spend a, a significant amount of time with. And seeing his, the first steps of his faith and action was just to open his eyes, to see opportunities. And whether it was prayer, uh, as Carrie mentioned in the drive, whether it was actually stopping and engaging some of those homes, beginning to sow the seed of the gospel, him watching and seeing Carrie's faith in action and the chance to follow that example. We see him start to share for the first time. We see him training those new believers how to share, modeling for them. We see him taking up prayer as a, as a matter of entry strategy for those neighbors and friends around them. We see him baptizing believers he's led to faith for the first time. We see him in, our, in the function of our own church, there from our own living room, beginning as he falls in love with the word of God, beginning to make attempts at teaching, shadow pastoring him, if you will, in Bible studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that his Saturday church service there, beginning with that same family of believers, he'd have uh, prepared as it taken time to study, looked into the word, been mentored and modeled how to interpret, how to teach the word of God among those new believers. In which case, he's stepping into that role as a church planner for the first time. In each of those places, in each of those ways, it was, there was intentionality to put a step in front of him, to identify where he's at, where are his next steps of obedience, 
challenge him to move forward, not into a vacuum, but rather with an example, with a model, tied directly and clearly to examples and models and commands, for that matter, imperatives of scripture, how to go forward, how to continue to push him forward. Just on that, when do you know? Like, when is it the time as you guys are thinking through, okay, here's a a responsibility here or something that we could give away? How do you determine this is the time to push them forward? What does that look like? There's a certain intentionality in our lives. Again, we fellowshiped over the years. A lot of what we've done over the years is major in diagnostics. What we mean by that, like a doctor trying to identify an element of, of unhealth or, for that matter, encourage healthy growth, there's 20 questions that are always there in our back pocket. There's those thought processes of next steps that are always there as a, a disciple, as a, even our own children step and walk toward maturity, right? So things like the four fields of kingdom growth, the training that we do to involve every believer in engaging lostness, sharing the gospel as in, in the practice of their priesthood, or for that matter, making disciples in pursuit of the Great Commission. That becomes a diagnostic tool. If they are engaging lostness, what do I say? What do I do if they say yes? Those same types of processes that keep them moving forward. It's there with uh, generational mapping as we consider the elements of Acts 2 for any congregation, any church service that's beginning to gather, any church that's in formation. Those basic functions of the first church in the book of Acts are a diagnostic, if you will. Are you giving? Are you committed corporately? Are you loving? Are you praying? Are you, is the Lord daily adding to your number? Those are being saved. Are you devoted to the apostolic teaching, baptism, Lord's Supper, prayer, those functions? Anything that would be lacking as we talk, as we interview, as we ask our 20 questions of each disciple, as we observe their life? We don't have to guess on next steps, right? But we do have to bring intentionality to encourage, to challenge, to exemplify those things also uh, to begin with, but also to encourage them to take up the same tasks. And wherever authority is involved, authority, responsibility are like fertilizer, aren't they? Constantly challenging, pushing someone to grow. To give responsibility without giving authority, without entrust, truly entrusting the task to them, uh, is a, a pathway to frustration. It's a pathway to uh, impotence, if you will, to say and recognize that something to, to give someone a task that they can't, they don't have the authority to fulfill, is to set them up for failure. Well, when it comes to those issues of authority, usually we restrict, we hold back because of a sense of risk, because of the potential for failure. How many times we've seen failure as an incredible catalyst to grow, to push brothers and sisters forward, to challenge them to take a step they haven't taken, to see them fall down in that, and to see the, the enemy's back broken by the grace of Jesus Christ when they stand up again. Well, that'd be my description of Jesus' three-year walk with his disciples. That'd be my description of the end of every one of the Pauline letters as he considers all of the various tasks he's assigning and ways he's pushing brothers forward. Leadership development in the mission field, you got, you got a lot of opportunity. Responsibility and authority have to be pushed out as fertilizer to cause growth, right? Andy, I also like how you, um, at the very introduction of coworkers, you emphasize that the same Holy Spirit that is in a man is, in the, is the same Holy Spirit in us. We are coworkers in this 
whenever we give our disciples responsibility, and like Nathan says, it causes them to grow and it's a risk, but the risk is sweet because we trust the Holy Spirit in them. And Nathan's always said, it's not necessarily that I trust you. I don't, Mm. I don't necessarily trust you. I trust the Holy Spirit in you. And whenever they make mistakes, whenever I make mistakes, I can trust that the Holy Spirit is is fully there with us and is going to teach us through our mistakes and lead us forward in that. And that's the, the, Jesse, that's one of the pieces I love about your interest study. Mm -hmm. When we look at that word biblical, we may, our mind may immediately go to a second Timothy one, where the pattern of of teaching was entrusted to Timothy, right? Or Titus one, where they are maintaining the pattern of doctrine that's been handed down as if a, a tool, a doctrine, a system of belief and right understanding has been handed to the individual, to the leader who's emerging, Timothy and Titus in those examples. You go to the narrative, you go to Acts, uh, four, Acts 14, 23, where the elders of the Galatian churches were entrusted to God. You go to Acts chapter 20, where the Ephesian elders is at the it's the bottom of the column. I it must be chat, verse 17, verse 19, something like that. Acts chapter 20. Now, I, Paul says, I entrust you to God and his word, in which case it wasn't a task or a tool or even a doctrine entrusted to the church leaders, the elders in both cases. Rather, it was elders, overseers, Acts 20, Acts 14, entrusted to God, entrusted to his word somehow in a, in a passive verb sense, they are being entrusted to God who is faithful and in fact more committed to those churches and those leaders than Paul ever could be. Even in those examples as he's exiting, they are entrusted to God. That's the same task. And that's what we've been, we've been harping on even in these few minutes over and over again. Leadership development is a faith-based activity. Giving away ownership and responsibility is fertilizer. I feel like you guys really live that out really well. You've taught us that. You've modeled that. So thanks for giving those really good examples. Let's talk a little bit about how you two lead together as a couple, whether it's in you know more of your ministry work, leading Westerners or doing South Asian ministry. I want to hear about that, how you two lead in that work. I also want to hear about how you lead together in your home. I'll start off in that question by just saying uh, it's changed over time. Whenever we first came out, the way that we worked together uh, was in a season when we didn't have kids. And so that season, we were together all the time. And the way our leadership leadership worked, we we were just together all the time. that was a, a sweet season. And Nathan was always involving me in whatever he did or whatever I did. I felt like we were involving each other. So whenever there was discussions, we knew what each other were talking about. So that set the example, that set the pattern of whenever the season changed. When we had kids and I began to realize like, wait, I think it's it's time for me to stay home a bit more and be with the kids and, and pour into them in this season. The pattern was set that we still had conversation when he would go out and come in. We were conversing about these things. It wasn't just it, then it didn't make me feel like, oh, this is Nathan's role. This is his ministry. It still feels very much like I'm together with him because whenever he gets back, we we talk about it. We have the same language um, when we're talking about ministry. We're not on different pages. So much of our energy is used 
uh, in travel. So much of what we do as cross-cultural workers trying to push local brothers and sisters forward. And ultimately, uh, as we will, no matter how far we go in language, how far we go in understanding South Asian culture, uh, we will always be outsiders. And so as we think about church planning work, as, as so much of our travel is actually we benefit from a little bit of distance. It forces us as in an itinerant ministry to entrust the task, the obedience, the various disciplines to local believers. We get that kind of default of the church forming around the Cornelius figure who may come to faith because like Peter, like his companions in Acts 10, we will be returning to Jerusalem pretty quickly. But you know, as those seasons change, Shaney, as I've watched Carrie over the years, as we before children worked so closely together, as we started to be outnumbered at home by those we were trying to pull along, our kids, first one, two, three, now four children in the home, we recognize uh, that the season of life shifted, that Carrie actually was not going to be traveling as much with me. Rather, as I'm out of bed, as I return home, it's interesting, she so often pulls me into ministry opportunities locally as she is in so many ways, the actual catalyst for our local ministry. She's identified parts of the cities we've lived in over these last few years with children in our home. She's engaged them with local partners, sisters in the ministry to go out and many and every time I travel and come home, there are next steps for those disciples, for those new believers in the fields that Carrie's been engaging. I've always, uh, and, and I recognize we, we can talk and transition to our, the conversation about our home, but the fact is, as our seasons of life have changed, our home has become a hub also. And not necessarily for catalytic church planting for generations of churches rolling out from our living room. That's not what I'm trying to say. But rather, it's been interesting. We noticed some years ago that as we target families, as we look for that Cornelius figure who around whom a church might begin, we've always said that axiom is there. If you win a family, you have the potential to start a new church. But evangelism, disciple-making is not always that neat, is it? There's many times we've won an individual, whether it was me reaching out to a young man in the marketplace, whether it was Carrie reaching out to a, a young lady or a woman in the in the midst of her ministry, in the midst of her own disciplines, many times, Shaney, we've seen individuals come to faith who are actually then ostracized, who are shunned by their family in a South Asian context. As the first believer in their family, they're often on their own in following Christ. In which case, we win a family, we have the chance to start a new church. Many times, you, when you win individuals, you have a chance to grow your own family. You have a chance to put your arms around them and draw them close. And so for years of time in our own walk, we've looked around our dinner table. We've looked around the table where we sit to eat with our own kids and seen multiple people joining us, though in most cases, first believers in their own uh, oikos, in their own family or household, in need of a spiritual family, in need of someone to offer them a seat at the table, you know. We had a young man named Krishna who joined our table, where we had a, a sister about my age named Sunita, the first believers in her family, where there was a young guy named Balwani uh, who chose the name Nelson, uh, an English name for to, to just call, refer to himself. 
in each case, those people joining us for meals, those people into whom we were pouring our lives were actually the first believers in their family in need of a brother in Christ, in need of a sister, in need of a spiritual family. All along the way, we had a chance to be church as well, right from our living room, challenge them and push them forward. And that, that process has repeated itself over and over again, over years of time. As Nathan was talking about these believers coming into our home and eating meals with us, they, our kids are able to see our leadership in that way. And the way we live out our Christian faith is to take people in, to use our home as a place of ministry. It's not just a place that we don't just go out and do ministry. Our home is a place of ministry. But I also want to say that um, lest anyone think that we're just always busy with people in our home. I don't want anyone to ever think, oh, the Shanks always have people in their home and they're always doing, doing, doing. Uh, don't think that because we are a family who also uh, have set up some guardrails and some boundaries in our life where it's not always people in our home. And we do have some boundaries where it is just our family. And we do have pattern set up in our in our household where we have pizza night every Friday and the kids can count on that. And Saturdays, we're going to veg out and we're going to spend time with you. And we're going to play games and we're just going to be together. Lessons we learn in the midst of the commission, the lessons we learn in marriage, the lessons we learn as disciples, every one of those we want to live out, but we also want to bring intentionality in front of our kids to bring them, to call them to the same discipline, call them to the same response of faithfulness or obedience. In some cases, that requires closing the door. In some cases, that requires retreating for the weekend. In some cases, that requires prioritizing uh, and limiting the audience, just like we've said with the public and private ministry. It would be a matter of neglect if we didn't shut the door at times to focus on those children the Lord's entrusted us with. I feel like it's really important to talk about that openly. And I feel like you guys have modeled that really well because it gives all of the people that you're leading freedom to do the same thing. It also gives people freedom to change and grow and do things differently according to their season of life. Carrie, I remember one time when you had a lot of little littles in your home. And I remember you saying to me, I feel like I haven't hardly been doing anything like in this leadership role the last few years. And then, but at that, that point in your life, you were getting more capacity to do more. And I just saw kind of a change in your involvement and in some of those leadership things at that time, just more communication with some of the women you were mentoring and things like that. But that was an encouragement to me because it showed me, oh, okay, there's some freedom. According to my season of life, there's a time that it's right for me to invest more at home. There's also freedom for me to grow. And maybe three years ago, I didn't have all these words to share with women, but now I do. Amy, I want to say something on that too. You and I have talked at some point, we've talked about how when people come into our house, there sometimes there's an expectation that we would sit down at a whiteboard. I think people have that in their mind that we, we're always above over a whiteboard and that when they come into our home, we're going to sit at a whiteboard and talk about all this stuff. But I'll just lift up Nathan. He has modeled to me and several others that, Hey, when you come into our home, we also just want to enjoy your presence. And mm. also for you to just yeah. enjoy what we enjoy. We love to sit and enjoy uh, hunting videos. We want you to enjoy that with us. And I uh, just see that Jesus models that for us too. Doesn't he? 
enjoying and seeing people. He wasn't just so task oriented that he didn't focus on people. We can slow down and enjoy people around us and who they, who God made them to be and who he made us to be. And we can sit and enjoy without being over a whiteboard, but we do enjoy whiteboards. I'll just speak to what you asked. Those seasons of life were very real for us. We were singles. We were married with no children. We're married with several little littles, as you said. And now uh, looking at teenagers uh, is our next few miles to run. Each, Each season has had a different posture for us as a couple and in ministry. Do you realize uh, what you described, Carrie's own testimony, it seemed like a season of life where she was less engaged. I would call those, looking back on some of those seasons, I would call those years of tremendous growth. Where I was instructed, where I benefited from lessons in prayer and in faith and in discernment that Carrie's posture enabled for me. That she, as she was digging into a, what seemed like a passive posture where she's not traveling or engaging the same way because of children in the home. Looking back, those were tremendous seasons of growth in our prayer life, in our walk of faith, in our discernment and decision making, specifically because the Lord granted Carrie a posture of peace, patience, not passivity, every bit the intentionality. And then bringing those lessons out of her prayer closet, bringing those lessons out of that assumed posture in order to instruct me and challenge me and stretch me. I wouldn't trade those seasons for anything. I benefited from those seasons greatly as well. That's right. And I have always benefited from our Jim Shockey hunting video watching sessions as well. (laughs) And I'm sure had hunting videos been a thing when Jesus was around, that would have been a key part of his discipleship with the twelve. That and NBA highlights, right? (laughs) Last one, just want to give you guys an opportunity. What would you say to someone listening who wants to grow in their leadership? Final words. I think one of the important things, especially with women in growing in leadership and growing period in being an M on the field is uh, don't compare yourself to others. And don't compare yourself to other people's seasons. And it's just a, it's a mess. Once you get into that, you start comparing. And the joy of living out the gospel on the field is stolen from you the moment you start comparing. So I think that um, to grow in our leadership, we also have to learn from leaders. We have to be able to, to willingly learn, to continue to be a learner, and uh, look to women and how to lead our families in that sort of leadership and how to walk alongside our husband in leadership. We're always leading someone. So whether you're a team leader or a team member, whether it doesn't matter what your, your role or your position is, you're always leading someone. And I think a lot of women struggle with seeing that is that uh, they, I hear women say, I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know what my role is, but I think we can clearly say the Lord gave you a clear task. You know the will he has for your life is to go and to proclaim and people are watching. So you're always leading someone, whether that is your kids or someone else's kids. We have some 20-somethings in our in our city and they're single. They don't have they don't have kids and they lead my kids so well. They are leading them. And I love that. I love that they take on that task. And yeah, that's what I would say in growing in leadership is learn from others. 
and know that you are also in a leadership position no matter where, what your, your title is. Terry says leadership, uh, for that matter, disciple making, it's not, uh, it's not optional. It's happening. It's happening in every church around uh, as we are just in this season in the U.S., it's not all, and the, 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 the question is, are we bringing intentionality to our discipleship? Someone's watching. Someone's learning from your example. Someone is being mentored. And the, the scary thing is that in a lot of cases, that's happening without intention. So if we model passivity, that too is leadership development. That too is disciple making. If we've, if we've accepted the posture of passivity or sitting down, Oh, there's people watching and learning. There's disciples being made in passivity as well. I think that's what Carrie is saying in part, how to bring intentionality to the task. And I would just add, as you ask for a closing remark, look at the things that you're putting your hand to. Look at what's on your calendar and ask the simple question, are these things I can accomplish? And if they are, I would suggest you're in the ditch. If you're putting your hand only, if you're filling your calendar with things you can accomplish, you're stuck to addition. Praise God, you may be faithful, but you won't multiply with that posture. And it sounds really strange to say, bite off more than you can chew. But when we make plans based on God's grace, when we're making plans and trying to operate in His power, if the limiting factor of our calendar or our commitments is what we can accomplish, we're, bound, we're binding ourselves to a life of addition. You may actually accomplish everything you can and fail when it comes to kingdom investment. How to bite off more than we can chew with that posture, with that default, you recognize we have no choice but to multiply. We have no choice but to delegate. We have no choice but to push and empower others forward into tasks that we can't accomplish. Well, that's that's the beauty of the church, the corporate commitment and community that is the missionary team for that matter, that the resources are actually never lacking, that God's grace is sufficient, that his strength it will always be found sufficient for the task he puts in front of us. So say yes to something you can't accomplish. You'll find yourself delegating. You'll find yourself multiplying. You'll find yourself with plenty of resources, human resources around you to empower. God's going to see to it, even as he's faithful. That's right. My verse has always been 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, well, each one should decide in his heart what he will give. Not reluctantly under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. We're not making plans based on our ability. We're trying to set our sights on God's grace. The integrity of our decision-making based on his strength, and suddenly there's things that we could never accomplish that come into view. And the church, the missionary team, comes along in a sense for that wild ride that is the grace of Christ out poured out. All, all that you could accomplish uh, by his grace, right? Effie and Shaney, my favorite part of the four E's is that it does help women and men to just simply look at scripture, look and see, I can exemplify someone today. I can equip someone today. I can encourage and entrust someone today. I can do that. 
And sometimes we make it just so much more difficult than what it, it, what it actually is. Or we can ask the question, who am I equipping? Who am I entrusting this task to? It just makes it simple. It just ma- it makes it simple for us to teach our kids these things too. Who are you encouraging today? We can just start spurring that into their hearts right now. Well, thank you guys so much for that. Um, this is just an incredible, just the incredible work that God has done in the lives of Nathan and Carrie over the years. I want for those that are listening just to know uh, these are people that we know well. These things that we're talking about that they are talking about from their own lives. These aren't just uh, theories on paper. These are things that we have seen and lived and experienced even in walking closely with them, learning so much from their leadership over the years and experiencing so much of their love as well. All the open home things and just walking alongside one another, seeing the Lord use them in mighty ways. Uh, we can testify to that. So we pray and, and hope that you all in just the time that you've been able to listen have been able to take away some of the stuff that we've gleaned over years walking together with them in missionary leadership. And I uh, just want to th- say thanks again, guys, for this time. Nathan and Carrie, man, we're just so grateful for seeing the grace of the Lord on display in you guys over the years and all the ways that you've led out in the kingdom. Well, thank you, guys. We appreciate it. our pleasure. God yeah. bless. Look for many years to walk together. Love you, guys.